0: All right, good morning. Takes a few minutes to get, uh, get things settled down. And uh, a little chilly this morning, too, but it's not too terrible bad. That rain cooled things off yesterday, and um, it's going to be good riding conditions today. Uh, it was real dusty yesterday, and uh, looking forward to a great day. By way of announcements, um, this is, we've got four races left. This is the fourth, so after today, we'll have three races left. Our final round of the year at Ironman. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a family night on Saturday night. So I'm not going to do chapel, not planning to do chapel on Saturday morning or on Sunday morning. We're going to do it Saturday evening. At seven o'clock. We're gonna do use from six to seven at the team faith t- truck. I'm gonna have some help from SXMX Ministries. We'll have a big inflatable bouncy house and some nine square games. And last year we did it that way, and we had hundreds of kids show up. And we're gonna tie that in with chapel. We're trying to we're trying to figure out a way to really reach this community. And eight 8:30 service uh is right in the middle of a race. Uh the ten o'clock guys are trying to get ready, so we're gonna experiment something. And do a uh, a 7 p.m. service on Saturday night at Ironman. Talk to me about it afterwards, because this is an experiment. So if that's like, there's no way that can work for me, I'd like to know that. If that's a great idea, I'd also like to know that too. But uh, really, been praying and talking with uh, with some counselors and, and you know people that do similar ministries to find out what's working for them and what's the best way that we can reach our community. And uh, we're going to give that a try. So uh, you'll also see that over the summer, some things changed under this tent. Uh, driving a different vehicle, if you've been around, at the last New York race, I was driving a a, a converted shuttle bus that had a 20-foot trailer on it, I left Odessa, uh, the Tomahawk, and I got about, uh, I don't know, 10 miles down the road and blew a head gasket on that thing, and even though it's uh, only a, a few thousand dollars to repair it, that's on top of the 3,000, on top of the 3,000, on top of the 3,000, and finally decided to retire that vehicle, and uh, since then I've been driving a, a sprinter van coming to these races, which is kind of cramped, and been doing a fundraiser to try and get a, a suitable hauler, and this isn't exactly what I was looking for, but it's going to do in the in the interim, uh, so really thankful to have some room to move around, I can stand up, not hit my head, it's great, so... Uh, We'll continue that fundraiser for for a suitable hauler for this ministry. But um, you'll also notice that the tents are different. At Snowshoe, last time we got together two months ago, uh, I had some tents set up. And even though we had chapel service in the courtyard, the the pits were still set up with four easy up tents. A storm came through Saturday night, blew them all down, looked like a war zone on Sunday morning. Tim Cotter came driving by. He said, hey, man, what if we were to buy you some of the tents that we use on GNCC? Would that work for you? I said, yeah, that would be great. So uh, they actually had these tents shipped here to the track on Friday. And Dean Van Leeuwen, he helped me set them up. And uh, these things aren't going to blow away. So uh, they're a little bit more work to set up, but they look good. We're going to get the Team Faith name stenciled on top of them. And, and uh, this this should work for years to come. If I can stretch four years out of an easy up, I think these tents will do pretty good for a while. So pretty blessed to be here. You know, Racer Productions, um has really opened their arms to this ministry and it's not about let's take care of chuck and give him some tents it's about let's take care of our racetrack community because he's here for them so uh, they're taking care of our racers by providing a place for this ministry to happen and they're bold about it too and they make no apologies they've taken very very good care of us so very appreciative to racer productions lord thanks a lot for this morning just thanks for the ability to be here at a racetrack and just uh for the freedom to gather in such a beautiful place and say the name of Jesus in public. Uh, We're going to look at that a little bit this morning. What's the future of this country hold? But, Lord, just provide your peace that you you promised through Jesus when his last words on this earth was, my peace, I leave you. Just provide us with that peace. Give us uh, courage to go forth and to share your love with the people around us. Give me words to say this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I know for you guys, you're no different. I'm no different from you. You're no different from me. Summer was a busy, busy time. Uh, Snowshoe, we last met, West Virginia, at, uh, at the end of June. And since that time, it's just been nonstop. I left Snowshoe. I went home. Uh, Trevor and I, my 9-year-old son, we went home, I think, for a day and unloaded and repacked. And we went to Muddy Creek uh, Motocross Track in Tennessee for an FCA camp, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And we did a camp there where I was the chaplain. He got to be a participant. He loved it. We did a camp there for a week. We went home. We unloaded. I don't even think we unloaded. We just went home, got a nap, and we went to the airport. We flew to Alaska for my brother. He lives up there, and he was getting married. So we got to go to Alaska for a few days and be a part of his wedding. And we came home. We jumped in the truck, and we drove to Indiana for another FTA camp. We came home. I dropped him off, and I went to Loretta Lens for two weeks and uh, worked for MX Sports at the uh, amateur finals, the the motocross finals. It was a busy, busy summer. Came home from that, and as uh, as you might have known by following me on Facebook, I've been rehabbing a house. I moved. I'm closer to Trevor, bought a foreclosed house, pile of junk. Two people told me I should take a match and light it and burn it. And uh, one of those people came back, and he said, Wow! to think I would have burned this place to the ground. You've done a great job. So that made me feel pretty good. Been working super hard on it, though, just day and night. And uh, finally coming to the end of that, have, you know, another hauler I need to outfit. and Just busy, busy, busy. But, you know, personally, for every single one of us, I know we all have our stories of busyness. uh, But for the country, I have really, over the summer, it just seems like our country has been in turmoil. There's just been a lot happening in our country since we last got together. As a matter of fact, the storm started brewing on the way to Snowshoe, because it was on the way to Snowshoe, it was actually uh, June 26th, we last met at Snowshoe on June 29th, so as I was driving to Snowshoe on the 26th, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled on the Oberfell versus Hodges case, and they legalized gay marriage in the land and uh, And since that time we 've been in this controversy of did the Supreme Court have the right to do that? Are they legislating from the bench we 've got uh, news channels all over the country that they got they got the talking heads and people and experts on both sides, and then you've got the blogosphere, and then of course you've got Facebook, and you've got fights erupting between people that call themselves Christians and people that call themselves progressives, and, and you've got all this controversy. And about the same time, it was a week before Snowshoe, that there was a shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, where a lunatic racist went into a black church and killed nine people. And then it was after Snowshoe that this huge controversy over this Confederate flag that South Carolina was taking down the Confederate flag and, uh, and, and things just went out of control, uh, TV Land pulled the Dukes of Hazard off a of TV, much to my dismay. Not that I ever watched them, but it was there. It was available for me to watch. And somebody said it best. Uh, on, uh, there was a quote that would, circulated the Internet. that said, I woke up this morning and looked at my Facebook feed. It looked like a battle broke out between the Confederates and the Skittles factory. And that's how that sums up the summertime that we had the Confederate flag and we had gay marriage, and then on top of that we had this whole scandal with uh, with Planned Parenthood. And if you've been following any of that about abortion clinics harvesting baby parts for profit, and, and then there were political controversies about emails and Benghazi, and uh, and just all and in the middle of it, a reality TV star stands up and says, "I want to be president." And he's been monopolizing the news ever since then, that Donald Trump is running for president. And he stands for a big, beautiful wall. And the military, your, your head's going to spin. And we, we see all these news bites. They've had two Republican um, debates trying to figure out, is Donald Trump going to be the Republican nominee for, this, uh, for the 2016 election? Or is it going to be Ben Carson? Or is it going to be somebody else? Or, you know, we've got all these, we've got 11 runners right now in the, in the Republican uh, primaries. We've had two debates, I say we, the country has had two debates for the Republican uh, nomination. The second one happened as I was driving on my way up here. I didn't get to watch it, it was on CNN. Uh, I didn't get to watch it, but 23 million Americans tuned in to watch that presidential debate. 23 million. The only show that has drawn a larger number of uh, viewers is the Super Bowl. Nobody can compete with the Super Bowl. 114 million people tune in to watch the football game. But the number one show right now on television is The Big Bang Theory. Draws in about 21 million viewers. The number two show is just uh, like 100,000 less than that. Sunday Night Football, 21 million viewers. Any Walking Dead fans here? I don't watch The Walking Dead. I hear all about it. 20 million viewers to The Walking Dead. There's your top three TV shows. 23 million people tuned into the presidential debate. Not even the presidential debate. Just who's going to run on the Republican ticket? people in America are very concerned about what's going on in America. People in America are more tuned in to politics than they've ever been before. People in America are worried about the direction of our country. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, you're concerned about the direction of our country. And as a Christian, we look at this and we say, uh, is there hope for America? Because as a Christian... I am very, very concerned for some of the things that are going on in our country. I am concerned about legislation from the bench. I am concerned about some of the things that I've seen in the the news just over the last two months since we got together. It was two years ago that uh, Fox News ran a special during the evening time. It was November of 2013 that America's pastor was granted a whole hour of Fox News TV time. Billy Graham had a special on Fox News in November of 2013 titled, My Hope, America. And from the Billy Graham website right here, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association finds that in a typical American community, our neighbors are dealing with unemployment, depression, fear, anxiety, substance abuse, and no belief or relationship with God. Graham finds that troubling, and he says, This is why I believe my hope America is crucial. It could be our last chance to see our country turn back to God, says Graham. Our last chance to turn back to God. Billy Graham has a son named Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham hasn't necessarily been titled America's pastor, but he has prayed at presidential inaugurations. He is the voice uh, in in America. He heads up Samaritan's Purse, which is a a disaster relief organization. They take uh, supplies and disaster relief all around the globe. Here in this country, they have tractor trailers sitting in Boone, North Carolina, stocked and loaded and gassed up, ready to roll to any disaster on this continent that they can get to. It's a huge organization, but along those lines, they have a saying that for every bottle of water they give out, they do it in the name of Jesus. They do it so they can share the love of Jesus Christ with a world that's lost and dying. And so Franklin Graham has become a spiritual leader of this country. And Franklin himself, I've got the wind helping me out here. Uh, Franklin himself is quoted as saying, I believe it will happen in my lifetime that preaching the gospel will be viewed as hate speech. He believes that in his lifetime, in the years to come, in the the very few years to come, preaching the gospel like I'm doing right here will be labeled as hate speech. You can tell by my tone of what I've already said that I probably very, very vehemently disagree with the Supreme Court decision because I'm a Christian and I believe that the sanctity of marriage, that God's designed for marriage, is between a man and a woman. That doesn't mean that I'm filled with hate speech. Because I recognize that every single person under this tent, myself included, is filled with sin. The, the gospel is not hate speech, it's, it's love. The truth is, is that every single one of us is filled with sin, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's adultery, whether it's pornography. Those are sexual sins. Now let's talk about pride. I fall into that category every single day. I'm so proud of myself. A crime against God, filled with envy, filled with covetousness. The top ten, the ten commandments, broken every single one of them, at least in my heart. And the gospel says, I love you anyway. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. And that's what Billy Graham concluded. My Hope America was a segment of different people from different walks of life and how their life was radically changed and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ in their life. How a a singer named Lecrae, who became known as Lecrae, was involved in violence and gangs, turned his life over to Jesus, and now he's one of the top uh, musicians in Christian music. I think one of his songs was just playing this was a second ago on some recorded radio that I had recorded just as, as uh, filler music. And, uh, and so he is a part of that. My hope, America, is not in our legislative branch. It's not in our Supreme Court. It's not in our executive branch. My hope, America, is in Jesus Christ because it's only the power of Jesus that changes lives, and, and he does that by changing hearts. And so the my hope, America, included with there is hope for America because it's found in Jesus Christ. But, you know, the, the truth is that as I watch the news every evening, when I get the opportunity to, and I see these stories of violence against police officers, and I see these stories about uh, people marching in the streets saying death to cops and all the uncertainty and the chaos that's going on in our country right now, I, I get discouraged, and I wonder, is there really hope for America? Is this coming to an end? Is the free speech coming to an end? We had uh, just, just a couple weeks ago, A lady named Kim Davis in in Kentucky was arrested because she's a county clerk and she refused to put her name on marriage certificates for gay marriage. She said, I'm a Christian and I don't want my name associated with that because I don't believe that way. Of course, she was harshly, harshly criticized by both Christians and non-Christians. My non-Christian friends harshly criticized her because, hey, isn't this the same lady that had children out of wedlock? She wasn't even married when she had her kids. Isn't that supposed to be a sin too? And now she's pointing the finger at somebody else? truth is that Cam Davis did have children out of, out of uh, marriage, and she was once living that way. Four and a half years ago, she gave her life to Jesus Christ, and her life has not been the same since. And she took a stand, and she said, I can't put my name on this. Christians said, you know what? If you can't put your name on that, it's obviously, it's the law of the land now. We're supposed to obey our authority. You just put your name on there. It's no big deal. Um, if you can't do it, resign. Quit making a big scene out of this. You're embarrassing Christians all across the country. I don't know what I would have done in Kim Davis's situation, but what I do know is that I can't run for an elected office right now. I can perform marriages because I'm a pastor, and I have performed marriages for some of our race community. Uh, I'm able to do, do marriages, but because I'm a religious pastor, I hate the term say that I'm religious, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. That ain't religion. But I'm a religious person, so I can be exempted from performing gay marriages. If I'm an elected official such as a mayor... I don't have the choice according to the way the laws are written right now. Now, in America, we ought to be looking for solutions. But right now, what's happening in this country is you either believe this way or you believe this way, and it's going to be my way or my way, and there's no middle. We live in the digital age. It should be possible. It should be easy to say, I want a marriage certificate, punch a couple buttons, get it. The state authorizes it without a person's name on it at all there's an easy solution to this whole controversy but we're not looking for that we're looking for i'm right or i'm right and we're just going to go to war and the confederates and the skittles factory go to war and that's where we're at and i tend to look at that and just get discouraged and say oh man i can't even stand to watch the news anymore i just get so angry i've said that before i've heard i've heard you say that before but we're wrong because when I watch the news, it's important to be an informed person. It's important to know what's going on. It's important, number one, to know what to pray for. But number two, this is an opportunity, my friends. You ever been to a candlelight service at Christmas time? I love Christmas time. I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I love Christmas time. I like going to a Christmas Eve service. And at the end of the service, um, everybody lights a candle. You walk into the service, they hand you a candle. You go, you sit down. At the end of the service, everybody lights their candle. They turn out the lights. The whole room is lit by candlelight, and you sing Silent Night. I actually love that. But I was at a Christmas candlelight service one time in Obai, New York, about 200 miles from here. My mom lives near there. I was visiting for, for the holiday. We went to a Christmas Eve service at, at Obai Community Church. They handed us our candle when we walked in. But at the end of the service, instead of everybody lighting their candle and bringing the lights down, they brought the lights down, and there was no light, and it was dark. And there was a lot of uncertainty because when you're in the dark and you can't see, it's uncertain. And you don't know, and you can't see, and sometimes it's even scary. And it wasn't like that in church. It was just, it was dark. And then the pastor lit his candle, one little candle way up in the distance. One little candle lit the whole room. I mean, I don't know how many watts of electricity it normally takes to light that room, but we're talking thousands of watts of electricity with the lights that are burning. And one tiny little candle lit the whole room so that everybody could see. And then the pastor lit somebody else's candle. And the two of them lit somebody else's candle. And before long, the whole room was a glow and candlelight. And everybody could see. You see, when we live in an uncertain world, the darker it gets, the more useful that one little light can be. The darker it gets, the more good that light is. Jesus said... A city on a hill cannot be hid. You are the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before men that they'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The darker it gets, the brighter that candle will shine. In China right now, China is an atheist country. They do not have a sanctioned government religion, nor does America. That's the whole freedom of religion thing is that we don't have a sanctioned religion. But if you wanted to say it this way, China has sanctioned atheism as the official position of the Chinese government. They do have churches, but the churches report to the Chinese government. They have a Catholic church in China that does not report to the Vatican. It reports to the Chinese government. And so what's happening in China right now is that the underground church has started a movement, and thousands of Chinese nationals are coming to know Jesus Christ and finding their hope in Jesus Christ. There's a statistic out there right now that uh, with with the China gospel explosion happening, that if this trend continues in China with the underground church that by the year 2030, China will have more churchgoers than America. I say it could probably happen faster than that with the way that church attendance in America is going like this. But you never know. We fight, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a war going on in China that we can't see. But our Christian brothers and sisters need our prayers over there for sure. Something's happening. The darker it is, the more the light shines and the faster the light spreads. So as we look around the uncertainty of our country, there's actually opportunity. But what do you do with that opportunity? Well, here's the deal. This is, a, this is a cheesy analogy. But when you have a bad day on the racetrack, what do you do? You go home and you practice the fundamentals. Chris Bach is a master of this. He practices on the grass track more than he practices anywhere else. All he practices is form and fundamentals. When you don't know what to do, you go back to the fundamentals. A new Christian comes to me and says, man, I know I should be reading the Bible. I don't even know where to start. I say, go to the Gospel of John. Go to the basics, the Gospel of John. So let's go to the Gospel of John this morning. Before I do, let me just set the stage, and you've heard me say this before. 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel was very, very different from what you see today. You need to understand that Israel at that time was not a free country. They did not pretend to be a free country. Israel was desperate for their autonomy. They were under Roman rule, Roman occupation. There were Roman soldiers that occupied the land. They had heavy taxes. They had laws that they had to abide by that were not their own. They weren't necessarily free to practice their religion the way that they wanted to. Romans did give them some religious autonomy. They had a temple. Herod built them a temple. But it wasn't enough. They really wanted to be their own independent country. And so they're looking forward to a Messiah, somebody that's going to come on the scene and set them free from Roman rule and from Roman oppression. And then this guy Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is charismatic. Lots of people are following him. He makes a lot of sense when he talks. And they keep trying to turn him into a political leader. They slapped a bumper sticker on him that said, make Israel great again. And if you've been watching the news, you know what? I'm punting off of Donald Trump of make America great again. But that's the sentiment in Israel is we want our independence back. And they keep trying to make Jesus a political leader. And Jesus says, no, I'm not having any part of it. One time, his, uh, his, his uh, enemies wanted to get Jesus in trouble. And so they tried to trick him into a political argument about taxes. And Jesus said, well, give me a coin. Whose picture's on this coin? It's Caesar. Well, if it's Caesar's, give it to him. And if it's God's, then give it to him. You need to decide. Are you serving Caesar or are you serving God? And didn't take the bait. His disciples, he picked 12 people to follow him. And his disciples at one point said, You know, Jesus, we've uh, we've given up everything to follow you. And you're not really coming through in the way we thought you would. And Jesus reminds them, my kingdom's not your kingdom. My accounting system's not the same as your accounting system. The last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. The people you see living in palaces and driving fancy cars and trucks, that's their earthly reward. I'm looking at an eternal kingdom and his disciples are like, yeah, I don't, okay. We'll stick with you because only you have the words of eternal life. I guess that's good enough for us. They come down to the end of it. And Jesus, the one that they thought was going to raise up and be their greatest leader ever, finds himself dead. The Romans kill him. Actually, it was the Jews that brought him to the Romans and said, crucify him, and Jesus is dead. And that hope for Israel was no more. That hope was dead. The disciples were really beside themselves. They really didn't see this coming. Jesus told them over and over and over, I'm going to die. And over and over, this disciples, no, you're not. You're not going to die. Quit talking crazy. And yet Jesus is dead, and now the disciples are like, I don't know what to do. Of course, two thousand years—the backside of history—we know what happened: the resurrection. Jesus is alive, and even still, the disciples are like, "I don't know what to do." And this brings us to our story today, of going back to the fundamentals, the back to the basics. This is the last chapter of John. This is John chapter twenty-one. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, Simon Peter, said to them, the other disciples that were with him. There were six other guys with him. He says, "I am going fishing." That's a significant statement. Because if you remember the story of Peter, when Jesus found Peter, Peter was fishing. He was out there in a boat, been fishing all night. He came into shore. He was cleaning his nets. And then this guy is walking out there on the beach and a bunch of people are listening to this guy talk. The guy says to Peter, hey, can I get in your boat? And can I talk on your boat? And the projection of my voice will bounce off the water, go up against the hillside, everybody will be able to hear me. Peter says, yeah, go ahead, get, get in the boat. And Jesus gets in the boat preaches. And then he turns to Peter and says, let's go fishing. Peter's like, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I didn't catch anything. Something about you though. If you tell me to go fishing, let's go fishing. So they go out and Peter hauls the catch of his lifetime. Catches more fish than he's ever got. Brings it into shore. He's got a pile of fish. The most successful business venture he's ever been a part of. Most successful day of his life. And Jesus says, walk away from it. Follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter walks away from it. And for three years, he follows Jesus. He sees what Jesus is. He even gets to participate in some of the things that Jesus is doing. Doesn't understand at all what Jesus is doing, but he gets to be a part of it. And then we come to the very end. Jesus is dead. He's resurrected. Don't know what that looks like. Peter says, I don't know what to do. I'm going fishing. The other disciples say, we're going fishing too. You might know the story. They're out all night, yet again, out all night, don't catch a thing. They see a guy up there on the beach, says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And I'm like, ah, you know, we've we've already tried everything, but just appease the guy. Throw the nets on the other side of the boat, make him happy. Catch of a lifetime, the boats begin to sink. And Peter realizes it's Jesus, jumps out of the boat, swims to shore. And you remember that Peter had denied three times that he even knew Jesus. When Jesus was ready to be crucified, Peter said, I don't even know the guy. Fulfilling what Jesus said, hey, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me. No, I'll die for you. Hey, I don't even know that guy. Three times, rooster crows. Peter's been having to live with that ever since, and denied Jesus. They have a fish breakfast. They're on the beach, a little fire, make some fish, eat some fish, and Jesus pulls Peter aside, asks him a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. You see, there's that whole conversation earlier where Jesus renamed Simon to Peter and said, Peter means the rock. You're going to be the bedrock of a movement that's called the church you and i are here today because of that statement peter you're the rock so jesus says the second time peter do you love me yes lord i love you then feed my sheep third time peter do you love me peter's grieved he says i get it i denied three times that i lo- that i even knew you but yes lord you know my heart i do love you he says then feed my sheep and then he goes on to say peter there's a day coming You once had your freedom. You got to dress the way that you wanted to dress. You got to go where you wanted to go. There's a day coming where that's going to be taken away from you. You're not going to be able to dress yourself. They're going to lead you where you don't want to go, signifying the way that Peter was going to die. And then Jesus said yet again, follow me. And here's where we pick up. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Basically, John. John's too humble to name himself as he writes this, but it was it was the disciple John. Peter turns and he sees John and he says to, to Jesus, He says, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. John goes on. So saying this saying spread among the brothers that this disciple me, that I was not supposed to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that John was not supposed to die. He said if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In the face of uncertainty, what are we to do? Follow Jesus. Well, What about that guy? Seems like you're blessing that guy better. It seems like there's a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of traction. What is it to you, what I'm doing in that guy's life? You, follow me. God, there's a lot of uncertainty in this country. It seems like the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What is it to you? You, Follow me. All right. So what does that look like? Another cheesy dirt bike analogy, is it easier to lead or is it easier to follow? You can go all the way around the world to Slovakia. You can follow the wrong guy and get off course and get disqualified. as happened to David Knight and Taylor Roberts. By following the wrong guy, it's, it's real easy. When you're leading the train, it's real easy to miss an arrow. I've followed guys before and found myself going completely off the trail. But it's so easy to follow because you just do what the guy in front of you is doing. If you're following Ryan Seitz or if you're following Caleb Russell, you're pretty sure you're in good hands because they know where they're going. You know if you hit that rut the way that they hit it, you take the line that they take, you're probably going to be in good shape. You don't have to think about it. The guy that's leading is the one that has to think about it. Jesus says, follow me. You mean I don't have to think about it? Here's where, here's where I mess up. I was about to say we mess up. I can speak for myself. I mess this up all the time. Follow Jesus? Great. Okay, so there's uh, Dirt Bike Church because I feel guilty because I'm missing regular church. So I'm going to go to Dirt Bike Church. And then when I'm home, I'll definitely go to Wednesday night group. And then I'll, you know, I'm going to do all these things. And there's a small group. And then I definitely got to read my Bible. Okay, it, what, 15 minutes? All right, 15 minutes is up. There, I'm following Jesus. No, you're leading Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> it was about 13 years ago that I decided that I would follow Jesus, but I actually led Jesus. There was, uh, you know, the church and the whole checklist of things I needed to be doing, and it didn't work out. Nothing ever worked out for me because, it, honestly, it was, uh, I'd kind of been going through cycles in my life of drinking and partying or going to church, and which is more fun? Don't answer that because you're at church right now. I went back to my old ways about 13 years ago, drinking and partying. And uh, I came to the end of myself. And in March of 2006, I hit my knees and said, Okay, Lord, I will follow you. And I know that that doesn't mean any kind of checklist. It just means I will follow you. Jesus gave some clarity to his disciples. In his last moments on this earth in the upper room, his his last uh, hoorah with his disciples, he's talking about um, the Holy Spirit. I will leave you the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. He will guide you in all truth. He will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You ever wonder how the Gospels got written? The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. When I said, all right, Lord, I surrender everything. I will follow you, even though I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I'll follow you. Peace. <laughs> in uncertain times, I have peace. It's not my responsibility to fix this nation. It's not my responsibility. God's called other people. Maybe he's called Franklin Graham to be that voice. Like a, like a voice crying in the wilderness like an Old Testament prophet where nobody's listening. I feel for him. If that's God's calling on his life, I'm glad that's not God's calling on my life. God, Jesus said, follow me. To me, that means I don't have to do the work. I just have to surrender and say, okay, God. And the power of the Holy Spirit leads me. And it's not that I have to read my Bible for 15 minutes. It's that I want to. And when I don't want to, and there are days that I don't want to, you know what? I don't. (laughs) And then I get really hungry because the Holy Spirit, and I get my Bible out, and I start to pray, and I start to journal, to say, okay, God, what next? The power of the Holy Spirit has kept me out of so much trouble on Facebook, (laughs) because it's not about throwing Skittles or about waving flags. It's about the love of Jesus Christ that transforms lives. God, thank you so much for today. Just thanks for this beautiful racetrack. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Challenge us. Draw us closer to you. What does it mean to follow you? That's going to be a little bit different for every single person that's here, but it starts with surrender. So show us where our pride is keeping us from surrendering to you. Keep us safe out there. Help us to have fun today. We look forward to meeting again in two weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great race, all right? And remember, at Iron Man, we're going to do a little different. Um, Saturday evening, 7 o'clock, we'll be church. It won't be Saturday morning or Sunday morning. It'll be Saturday evening at 7 o'clock. Talk to me about it if that's not going to work for you or if it is.